Okay, so you see how when you start a new job, there's like a probationary period where the employer can just get rid of you. Yeah. So sometimes it's months, sometimes it's three. Why can't we have that with like prime ministers and presidents? Because for shits and giggles, I want to see someone like Donald Trump get in and then the general public (laughs) realise, oh my God, he's a fucking psychopath and he didn't actually know anything that he was talking about. Let's just get rid of him. Let's go back to whatever we were doing before. There should be some sort of probationary period for that. Yeah, then you'd have to go through the whole bloody election again. No, whoever came second can take it. They can have a go. Oh, so give it to the leader then. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, maybe... Because they've seen how badly that the winner has done in the six months. I was going to say three, but six months seems longer. It's enough time to actually do something or show that you're doing something. Whereas three months, not that long. Yeah, but have you seen the logic to this idea? If this worked, if, if you get either Trump or Hillary... You then have to have both, if, by your theory. I know, Bust, but the... By doubling but, but the pain sort of, of everyone. No, no, doubling the, the pain world. of the Americans. Oh, that, that's harsh. I mean, I, you know... Hey, you know what? They are the reason that we have those two. Yeah, but there's some decent Americans out there. There's quite a lot of Americans who aren't happy that they've got the choice of two psychopaths. Well, then they can come. I mean, our borders aren't closed. We haven't built a wall up. No. No. So, um, <laughs> I'm never going to let go of that wall, am I? Oh, but come on, Tom. The lovely door, though. I mean, that's the highlight. <laughs> the door. Mm. So, I was talking about how, um, to someone at work, about how when Brexit happened, I was just like, ah, oh, I might just move to the States, but I have to see what happens with Trump. Because it's easier. Because, like, I have family there. Maybe I can get, like, a sponsor and it might be easier for me to get, like, a visa and stuff. And then I said, once I sort that out, I'm going to hop over the border to Canada because I don't want to live in America. Yeah. That's a long way to go to go to Canada. Is there no way to just go to Canada? I need to marry a Canadian. Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. easier to get to Canada to do in the US because I know the US is all, it's really difficult to move there. Well, Canadians seem to go live in America. Yeah, true. I'm assuming people from America can go live in Canada. And I have a British accent. Anyone outside of England sort of yeah, seems to have, love a British accent. Have you got the Hugh Grant British accent? I could, I could totally, but actually, you know, they don't care. A British accent is a British accent. Not really. It is for them. They think a Yorkshire accent. As as long as it sounds like I have some semblance of intelligence. Uh, Oh, 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 oh. (laughs) That, that is, that is, oh, you're being controversial there. (laughs) We live for controversy here at the Dog Seduction. I, I would never say people from Yorkshire are stupid. I didn't just mean them. I meant, um... People that I went to school with, um, uh, oh. the people that, yeah, those you people. Podcast with. <laughs> <laughs> you were recording the podcast with. You didn't have to repeat that. <laughs> it was just a suggestion. <laughs> it's a suggestion that I agreed with. All right. <laughs> no, but I speak clearly enough for them to think it's just a plain British accent. Because mm. I don't think I have a hint of anything in me. No. That sounds wrong. <laughs> no, but as in, I don't have any, like, regional accents no. or i don't sound posh i don't sound like a pauper yeah pauper, <laughs> pauper. i do not I, I sound posh when i'm saying pauper though yeah i have a friend who used to say bowling is bowling it's bowling. really funny to hear him say that bowling yeah you just say bowling i mean you go, bowling oh i'm going bowling you know oh no no are you a scone or a scone Oh, definitely scone. I mean, that was drilled Good. into me as, Thank as a child it's correct it's scone it is not scone yeah, it's like, it's, I think I was telling this to Lana, actually. You don't say stone as stone, do you? Yeah, in, I know, right? Yeah, I'm going to kick but a But then again, you say mas- masturbate. You couldn't say it properly. I say masturbate. Welcome to the Dork's Deduction Podcast. Where we talk about stuff. Masturbate. No, it's masturbate. It's like, masturbate. It's, it's like I hate people say bastard. It's bastard. Masturbate. It's arsehole, not asshole. Asshole's American. Asshole. But then they have a different spelling for arsehole as well, don't they? It's A-R-S-E-H-O-L-E. Yeah. Arsehole. So they should be saying arsehole. Arsehole. I thought they they were the ones that say A-S. No, no, it's A-R-S, isn't it? No. Okay, any listeners out there that are American, please tell us how you spell arsehole. I'm pretty sure they say asshole a lot. No, no, I know that's how they say it, but it's spelled A-R-S. 
I don't think so. Uh, where where is it spelled A R S E? Here. Is it? Yeah, I think that's where it tends to be. So, although people have started to say asshole, I I, I always spell it A W S. I don't actually write it that often, to be honest. Though, why would I need to write it? <laughs> uh, if you got a doctor's complaint or something like that. Okay. Uh, I've never had one about my ass. <laughs> anyway, um, we need to get to the fucking point. So we segue from assholes to Harold to Wilson. To be fair, we spoke about controversy. We spoke about governments. We spoke about we spoke about prime minister and presidents. This was all a foundation. Yeah. Did you not see this? No. We just drifted from the segue that I was setting up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this bloke called Harry. Harry? No, Harold. I, I like to call him Harry. No, well, he's actually, his first name's actually James, but... Yeah. It's one of those weird things where you call yourself another name. But sometimes people that were named after, like, their father do it, and they just go by the middle yeah, name, so it's, it's less confusion. Yeah, it's a good way of differentiating yourself from your father. Yeah, so don't insult the Harry. Harold. Harry. Harold. Harry Potter? Oh, shut up. <laughs> he, he died a day before my third birthday. Harry Potter died before? No, Harold Wilson. Oh, I was going to say. Harry Potter isn't dead. Well, he sort of when did die. When were you born? I was 1992. I thought he died in 95. Yeah, he, he died in 95. Yeah, get your facts straight, Tom. That is a day before my third birthday. Oh, I thought you said day before you got your... me second guessing my maths. I was just no, like, I thought okay, you said I'm looking at my notes. You, like, hold um, on you a were second. born. No, a day before I was three. Got confused there. I got all silent. I was like, hold on a second. What is he talking about? Yeah. 95. I was like, yes, I've got that down. It was a day before. I, I think that quite a lot as well. You know, I've lied about my age so often that I sometimes forget how old I am. It's weird. When people ask me how old I am, I do have to think about it. Yeah, because I say 21 so often. Yeah, but you don't, you don't really tend to think about how you are, old you are. No, I have to do the maths. Because age stops being a thing after you're, like, 18. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're legal to do everything after then anyway. Well, actually, 21, I guess, because then you're legal to do everything everywhere. Yeah. I just, As you get older, you just try and ignore the fact that... You're slowly getting older and older. And yeah, it's just time a year slipping away. To death. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's good to think about that. Yeah. How close to death we are. Okay, so there's this bloke called Harry. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a bit of background on Harold Wilson because it, it is kind of slightly relevant. I sort of quite, well, because I only knew him from the name because of, you know, capital punishment. But looking at the stuff that he tried to do, I actually quite like him. I think he's one of the good guys in general in a yeah. world where it's difficult to be. He didn't bow down to the Americans and let them ride him hard. Mm, yeah, to extent. Like, on the surface, he sort of kept it yeah, friendly. You had to, then... Yeah, I think you have to be sometimes. Yeah, to... you have to be cordial. Yeah. But but he didn't do a Tony Blair and, you know, decide to make friendship bracelets for the President of the United States. Yeah, he wasn't in, hadn't inserted a part of his body into <laughs> an American president's rectum, so... <laughs> no, he'd be the one taking it if he was Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be inserting jack shit. I don't know, he might be in Sarah. Oh, no, actually, yeah, definitely. No, he'd be taking it. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's let's get off that subject, because... Uh, <laughs> get off what? <laughs> get off George Bush. If I need someone to talk Tony Blair sooner. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Um, I better start now. Right, um, Harold Wilson, then. What's interesting about Harold Wilson was he was really the first Prime Minister to come from a kind of more humble background. A lot of the prime ministers before him had been, you know, eaten kind of toffs. I mean, not necessarily bad people, but... And after him. And, yeah, some people after him as well. But he was this generation of people who hadn't gone to Eton. He'd gone to just a fairly kind of normal grammar school. And so here he was, this guy who not only just got to Labour leader, but had also managed to become Prime Minister. And he really replaced this whole kind of generation of these, as I said, Eton Toffs. And so this was quite a strange period, particularly for the establishment that was still dominated by people from, you know, the, the Eton background or the public It keeps saying Eton. There are other schools. There's yeah, Harrow. Um, yeah. There is... Name them there. Um, there's the one that Wellington. Ones are there. The Marlborough is that. That's just a girls' school, isn't it? Yeah. There's um, um, oh, there's one involved with Wellington, but I can't remember what it's called. It might La- be called Wellington. Uh, mm. Yeah, but there's other. There's Stowe and stuff like that as well. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a whole load of public schools. And the that, Dragons. That Tom I mean, went to when she was young. I did not go to public school. <laughs> I'm more of a pauper than a prince. Where do you get that accent from, then? Uh, it's just by speaking English. 
properly. Yeah, you went. To what? Public... I don't sound like a toss. <laughs> you nearly did when you were going on about public school. So when did I go on about? Oh, you meant just now? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My accent does tend to fluctuate, though, doesn't it? A little bit. A little bit. Because sometimes I could sound. Actually, I don't sound like I'm ever from the ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> and also because I watch a lot of American television, yeah. sometimes I put like American accents on words by mistake. See, that's my problem. I sound like I'm from the ghetto, so. It can't... <laughs> Holds me back so much. You, uh, blood, you do not sound like you're from the ghetto. <laughs> Sorry, I pronounced my T's and I shouldn't have done. Yeah, I, di- I didn't, uh, I didn't blood, say you what... you do not sound like you're from the ghetto. I didn't say what ghetto, though, did I? Sorry. Are you talking about the ghetto in Harlem? No. Okay. I'm talking about the ghetto in Braunstone Town, <laughs> which is basically just this house. <laughs> you didn't even grow up there. <laughs> <laughs> True. Good point. Okay, but, anyway. You know, but I've, I've assimilated to this. Thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's me just assimilating to Surrey life. <laughs> but then again, I grew up in Islington. It's not actually that hard. Surrey. How I'd love to be back in Surrey. Anyway. Yeah. What's also interesting about Wilson is he succeeded someone called Hugh Gateskill. And this is going to come kind of important to uh, the conspiracy later on. Gateskill died at a rather young age, of 56. But he'd also been... A kind of right-wing revisionist, so he changed the Labour Party to a more kind of centre-right kind of party. So it was it was moving Labour closer to Conservative Party in some ways. It's also important to remember that this time is the time of the Cold War, where there's a lot of paranoia, there's a lot of suspicion about people's political motives, and there was a lot of suspicion about the Labour Party and infiltration of the Communist Party into it at that time. And this is probably is important understanding where a lot of these theories about Wilson come from. It's also important to understand that a lot of coups in foreign countries were taking place at this time. A lot of kind of left-wing governments were overthrown by coups supported by the CIA and American governments and probably even British governments. So you kind of think if it's possible to happen in another country, it's got to be kind of possible to happen in this country as well, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, just I trying you. to work out with you still there because it gone very Yeah, quiet. no, I'm still here. <laughs> All of a sudden. My leg's a bit stiff, but I'm still here. <laughs> and I mean my actual leg, not my third leg. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten about your third leg. How could you forget about my third leg? I know. It's wonderful. Swings about like anything. I'm pretty sure you hit me <laughs> on the leg with it once. <laughs> While you were in Leicester and I was here. <laughs> That's how big my fat leg is. Yeah. I do wonder what I keep hearing fuds sometimes in the background of yours. <laughs> so that's what it was. Yeah. You say it's a laptop or something like that, but I know what it is, really. Um, <laughs> right, get, getting back to what we probably should be talking about. Um, one last thing to remember uh, is also it's a time when trade unions were a lot more powerful than they were. And there's a general fear that the trade unions could take over the country in a way they they were able to kind of bring the country to a standstill so like coal mining strikes and stuff like that different there was all those companies industries they they could hold strikes that could just it destabilizes everything be very damaging to the government i mean governments could potentially lose elections because of these and i think some of them did in many ways so do you think we should Come up with like a podcasters union. Yeah, yeah, because I think podcasters' rights. Yeah, I mean, I mean, podcasts go out all around the world, so I don't know where we unionize and do strikes though. And our strike would be to not talk. Yeah, I think I think people would be quite happy for that. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> yeah, so might best not do that. I guess. Oh, yeah, let's not. Well, let's just talk more. Yeah, let's just. We'll, we'll, we'll up it to like five episodes a week. Oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Could barely do one. <laughs> right, so I've probably come to the 1968 plot now, I think. The 1968 plot, a bit background on this is that a year before, Wilson's government had had to devalue the pound. Now, this was quite... Back in those days, this was quite a serious thing. It's quite a serious thing now, though. Uh, It's harder to buy money. Economies do it a lot more these days than Mm. than they used... Back then, it was a real... I mean, this hadn't been done in years. And it was considered... It was considered quite a humiliating thing to do. It's basically saying... But it's because he inherited a shit ton of debt. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the debt was something like 800 million I was reading somewhere. I think it was 400 million. Uh, I had 800 million. Oh, okay. Let's, let's call it six. It was fucking loads. Yeah. More than we'll ever see in our lifetime. Yeah. Well, we can always hope. I'm hoping. (laughs) It's not going to, I've been wondering whether I should buy scratch cards now. (laughs) Yeah. I I could do with the eight grand that's advertised on that scratch card. Yeah, this podcast could really take off, you know. All right, there's no need to do that. So, yeah, so yeah, devaluation was kind of really humiliating. It was kind of like so basically saying the value of this country's money is just not worth much, really, basically. So, the value of the pound had gone down from like 280 to 240. It doesn't sound like much, but it was quite a big thing back in 67. And also, what was kind of annoying for Wilson, he said, Oh, we're not going to do this for so long. And then he kind of eventually had to do it. It was a last. It was a last resort, effort. anyway. Because was... he tried to join, what was it called, the European Economic Community, but then they didn't accept his application, and then he sort of had to. The other other option was like loans from foreign countries, and they just weren't really worth much, and they would have involved concessions, which would have been probably quite damaging for the country. That, and you'd end up in even more debt. Yeah, pretty much. You don't take out a loan to pay off a loan. No, it's not a good idea. A good financial expertise from Tom. And yeah, that's why I get paid the big bucks on the dog production. Yeah. My financial advisory. <laughs> uh, back to Harold Wilson, who didn't have plastic surgery. That we know of. That we know of. Basically, there's a guy called Cecil King, who was head of International Publish- Publishing Corporation. He, he was also... Um, He's the former chairman of the Bank of England at this point. And, and so he'd been racing. He's destined to be a lovely guy. Yeah, he was the chairman of the Bank of England at, I think, the time of devaluation as well. So he would have been involved in that decision. Or he'd certainly had some input there. But I think he was quite a conservative figure and he would have seen devaluation as being quite a kind of humiliating thing as well. And he didn't seem too keen on a socialist government which a lot of establishment figures weren't. But he wanted uh, this meeting with a guy called Lord Mountbatten, who was... <laughs> I just love that name. Yeah. It, uh, Lord Mountbatten. I know. It, he went to Eton. Battenberg. That's what makes yeah. you think. Ah, oh, yeah. I bet he eats Battenberg every day. No, he mounts Battenberg. <laughs> What's he doing to the poor Battenberg? <laughs> Why would you waste a good Battenberg? <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm not. No, actually, I'm not going to go there. It's too <laughs> disgusting, <laughs> even for this podcast. Yeah, he was Lord Mountbatten of Burma. He was uh, the Queen's cousin. Oh yeah, cause she's a Mountbatten. Yeah, technically she is, isn't it? She's because all the like royal families are related, related. and stuff like that. Sick incest <laughs> and stuff. So they attended this meeting with Lord Mountbatten. There was Cecil King and. A guy called Sir Solly Zuckerman, who is uh, the chief scientific advisor to the British government. And there's also a guy called Hugh Cudlip, who had been asked to arrange this meeting, but he's not that important, really. He just kind of gives us the information to this. And according to Cudlip, uh, Cecil awaited the arrival of Sir Solly and then at once expounded his views on the gravity of the national situation, the urgency for action, and then embarked upon a shopping list of the Prime Minister's shortcomings. He explained that in the crisis he foresaw as being just around the corner, that the government would disintegrate, that there would be bloodshed in the streets, and armed forces would be involved. So, cheerful stuff. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, I mean, not paranoid at all. The people would be looking to somebody like Lord Mountbatten as the titular head of a new administration. Someone who was renowned as a leader of men and stuff like that, basically. It's called Mountbatten. I'd find it hard to respect someone called Lord Mountbatten. Yeah, but I think he was quite accomplished in what he did. Yeah, but he's still called, on paper, he's still (laughs) called Lord Mountbatten, isn't he? Yeah, true. I'd do what we just did and just say he reminds me of Battenberg. I'd come (laughs) to staff meetings with Battenberg. Hey, I I like the Battenberg, though. So So do I. I mean, it's a bit too sweet, but, yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and also he'd be backed by the best brains and administrators in the land. So he'd be able to restore public confidence, basically. He ended the meeting by asking Mountbatten whether he would agree to be the titular head of this new administration in such circumstances. 
Mountbatten didn't immediately say no. He asked Zuckerman's opinion about this idea. And Zuckerman stated that this plan essentially amounted to treason and left the room. So I kind of like the sound of that guy. Yeah, he seems like a decent enough filler. Saying basically what this is, basically, you know, trying to overthrow a democratically elected leader, you know. Mountbatten then expressed the same opinion, so um, I don't know whether that's just because he was following Zuckerman or where he Yeah, it's because he was following Zuckerman. Yeah, I, he's, a he's probably keen on the idea. Of, so basically, they leave this meeting and nothing really happened eventually. But King, obviously being head of uh, the International Publishing Corporation, which involves papers like the Daily Mirror and stuff like that, or did back then, I think before Murdoch got his hands on them, I can't. I wish I could remember a time before Murdoch. Yeah, probably wasn't much better, but but he's been around for a really long time, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah, that's what you get when you let Australians take over your newspaper. <laughs> I don't mind Australians. They used to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like them <laughs> for lots of reasons. Yeah, um, but King then decides to kind of overrule the editorial independence of the Daily Mirror. And he basically wrote and instructed to be published a front page article calling on Wilson to be removed, basically by, by some sort of extra parliamentary action. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but this was quite serious. And the, the Daily Mirror wasn't keen on this and the IPC wasn't either. This was kind of a breach of procedure and it's damaged the kind of interest and the reputation of the paper. Um, so he was asked to leave, but he refused. So the, in the end, they, they basically sacked him. So he kind of got, I think, what was coming to him there, in a way. Yeah. There's one rare instance where I think the Daily Mirror actually saw this as actually being stupid. Because the Daily Mirror is actually a relatively left-leaning paper, even though it's owned by Murdoch, I think. Well, he needs a range, doesn't he? Yeah. It keeps the money coming in. Yeah. He can't just stick to one point of view. Yeah. Because you'd only get them to be those people of the same point of view to buy your brand. Yeah. Whereas if you dip your toe into many, then you're golden. Mm. And because um, I think the mirror's always been kind of, is always, I think it's pretty much always supported Labour at the elections. Because mm. I always find that a bit annoying that papers express who they're going to vote for. But it doesn't matter because the people that would buy those papers would have voted that way anyway. Mm, I think there's quite a lot of undecideds, though. Really? By pa- yeah. Yeah, to, yeah I, I get what you mean. I think more places should be, like publications and things like that, should be like the BBC around voting times. I mean, they're not allowed to comment on it. They could they could do commentary on it, yeah. but they can't say, this party is shit, you should vote for this one. Because I, I, I do think in most elections, people are pretty undecided which way they're going to vote. Most of the time. So I think what what the papers say does tend to be quite important. Yeah, but you forget the younger generation don't even read papers. Everything's online. Um, yeah, true. But it's still the same. It's still got stories and stuff like that. Papers still express where they, you know, what way they're going to vote and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, obviously, you know which way the Daily Mail's going to vote. Yeah, UKIP. <laughs> Or Conservative Party. Or BMP. Yeah, the lovely Daily Mail. Oh, it's because the Daily Mail is actually going to be important into one of these. Just to bring this in quickly, because some people, um, when they say, oh, this can't have happened, it's something that did happen back in 1924 and with a Labour government was that the Conservative establishment at the time, this is a site conspiracy theory, there was a letter, basically, that was posted in in, in the Daily Mail Basically, it purported to be from a Soviet Union official because the Labour Party at the time had forged relations with the Soviet Union. And they basically, yeah. the Soviet, this guy was saying, because of these uh, new kind of relations, the Soviet Union could infiltrate the Labour Party. It could infiltrate Britain and the colonies and stuff like that and put their ideology into these countries. The, the general idea about this letter is that it was fake now. Uh, it was considered very authentic at the time. It led to their defeat in the election, but some people say they were going to lose anyway. It was a minority government. But it can show you how sometimes the establishment it can manip- manipulate things. So, And the one paper that actually 
put this letter in was the Daily Mail. You think, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're still at it these days, pretty much. <laughs> Never been a nice paper. Are there any nice papers? Um, not really, I don't Exactly. Think. There's no, like, reputable newspaper anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there ever was, but not in my lifetime. No, but that's, that's just depressing, talking about yeah. newspapers. It's all yeah. tabloid shit these days. Everything is tabloid. Like, where are the proper broadsheets? They don't exist anymore. Yeah. Everything is tabloid-driven. Even, like, The Guardian and papers like that. And... Oh, yeah, no, The Guardian is just, it's not. Well, to be fair, I use The Guardian as a source of a lot of my research. But, yeah, The Guardian these days, it's not that great. Yeah. But anyway, should probably uh, get back to this. So Mountbatten refused to participate in this, and there's no evidence that there was any other conspirators at this point. And Kudlip, who was the guy that revealed this kind of meeting, himself wasn't too keen on the idea. He was just there to, or you know, he was just he'd just been asked to kind of orchestrate this meeting, and he felt that King was a bit being a bit egotistical here, you know. So most of the people at this meeting saw it for what it really was, you know, a pretty crass attempt at trying to overthrow a democratically elected leader. But this wouldn't be the only plot. There was another one in 1974, but a couple of things happened in between. Interestingly, there was an election in 1970, which Harold Wilson actually lost, although it was was going to be close. Everyone thought he would just win it. No one really believed the Conservatives were going to get into power. Um, Wasn't he a bit too cocky about it? Because he thought he would actually win it. Yeah, yeah, it was was very clear. Wilson, he he depended a bit too much on him believing that the public kind of loved him. Because he was a very down-to-earth politician compared to... Edward Heath, who was the Conservative leader, he was a bit very awkward in his public addressing. So he probably was resting on his laurels a little bit too much. But there's also, I'm, I'm not sure, I've, I'm not sure I'm reading into this. Some people have suggested that maybe MI5 or like other political enemies might have been spreading stuff at this time. But we can't know for sure. Compared to 1974, we do know a lot more about this. So moving on to 1974. This period I like to call the CIA chapter because we have that every few episodes, don't we? Yeah. So coming to 1974, Harold Wilson had been recently re-elected again because there had been an election in, in 1974 and it's this quite important. This was another time when the trade unions had brought down the Conservative government. So the mood in the country is quite depressed at the time. We'd had like a three-day week, which is pretty incredible to think of now. So people, <laughs> not for me. I walk. For, I oh, work three for, days. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean, no? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. What you mean. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we, I, I think at one point because electricity was so short, people had to like take lanterns or something like that, into, or candles and stuff like that. So there was lanterns. no power. So, but could, could you imagine how much money was spent on candles? Yeah, bloody oh, candle. Candle makers would have been really happy. Yeah. Oh, we should get into that business. Yeah. Could you imagine when electricity and power fails us? Candles. Yeah. It's there's something like because we used to have power cuts quite a lot when I was younger, and it is quite nice to sing in candlelight. It is, isn't it? It's not so nice if your house burns down, I guess. But how about you blow out the candles before you go to bed, Matt? Good idea. Ever thought about that? Yeah, I have. Is your life just full of fires? No, no, house never burnt down, but. You just gotta be careful. That is one danger. Yeah, no, we're here to educate you, dog seduction listeners. Yeah. Blow out your candles before bedtime. Yeah. Or before you leave the house. Yeah. Don't decide to dance around while there are candles in the house because yeah. you might catch fire. Don't place them near curtains as well. Bad idea. Yeah, no, don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Don't don't leave your hair straighteners on and leave them on a bit of paper either. You've done that, have you? No, I've been told I did that, and I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't leave them on. I unplugged it. You idiot! You're trying to blame it on me. Oh, oh someone's been trying to blame stuff on you. Yeah, I was like, but that's just stupid because I unplug everything before I leave the house. So basically, you use my hair straighteners. You set fire to the piece of paper. Fuck you. 
I'm never used to a hair straightener. No, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Jeez, you make it sound like that. So, yeah, moving to 1974. Actually, I'm going to move to 1976, actually, because this is... More relevant. Yeah. In 1976, Wilson asked these two journalists called Barry Penrose and Roger Courtier to meet him at his house. And this is... He'd just recently, rather mysteriously, resigned as Prime Minister, so... I find it funny that he, he resigned as Prime Minister saying it was my plan two years ago, which is when he got voted back in. Yeah. It's like, what's the point? So obviously there's something iffy about it. Mm. And it's not just his, you know, illness that we may or may not talk about later. Yeah. Now, these two journalists are kind of thinking, oh, what, what's, what's this going to be about? They were thinking they might get a bit of a scoop on why he resigned. And I suppose in a way you might possibly argue that they did. But basically he set up a relationship with these gent, not a sexual <laughs> no one was thinking that. <laughs> he set up a, a relationship with this journalist where he basically would give them information about what he believed MI5 and other security agencies were up to. So CIA as well, I think we'll, we'll talk about soon. He was particularly like what they did when he thought he... Well, more what he thought they were doing when he was in power. And some of this stuff continued on after he left power. So he claimed that Marcia, his secretary, who some people claim he had an affair with, it's not known whether he really did, but it's not, they did have a quite close relationship. Um, but that's not that strange. Yeah. If you're working with someone day in, day out, they become your work wife. Particularly in politics, I think, as well, because you look for people who, for support, you need someone yeah. who's on your side in politics, particularly when you're prime minister, when you can be very kind of cut off. Not everything's like that Hugh Grant storyline in Love Actually. No, not, not many people are like Hugh Grant, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Wilson claimed that Britain's democracy was under threat, basically, by the security agencies. And he claimed that all these kind of things were going on. So Marcia, his secretary, uh, he claimed that her house had been burgled, that, but only had, like, a telephone had been robbed. Now, that's kind of a bit suspicious. Like, she, Marcia's got all this kind of jewellery and stuff like that. She's got all this stuff that's quite valuable, but they don't steal that. They go for this telephone, which kind of uh, is a bit interesting. He also claimed that he was being bugged by MI5. I'd, I'd love to know the 1970s style of bugging. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't get the minute te- technology that we'd get now, or they couldn't hack into the phones. What's actually interesting um, is that this meetings between these two journalists and Howard Wilson, they actually recorded these meetings and I was watching a documentary about this and you can actually hear the recordings. And what they were saying, what was what happened once was they were recording it and the tape jammed and it was quite audible, the sound of this, the tape jamming. And he, Howard Wilson just continued to keep talking over it, just couldn't seem to hear it. And you kind of think, if that's the kind of quality of your recording devices, I'm not sure their bugging devices would have been that great either to be honest the smear campaign involved his situation with the ira right yeah this is an interesting bit basically what i read into this one was that he was accused of secretly being very supportive of the ira's terrorist actions or that he's really deep down he supported their cause which is quite a controversial thing to you know to accuse someone of at the time because the IRA. They were the 70s version of Muslims, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, the IRA were bombing places, not just in Ireland, but in London and. Places. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, basically. So it's quite a, um, a volatile time, and to suggest the Prime Minister secretly supports the IRA, you know. So this was a kind of black propaganda campaign, really, against Wilson. And it included stuff, basically, that he was secretly a Soviet spy. Which, I don't understand, where did that come from? Other than, like, the letter from Lord knows when. Is there any evidence that he was ever associated with the Soviets? The MI5 did an investigation which basically said there was never really any concrete evidence to suggest that he was. But again, you have to remember it's the time of the Cold War and people were just overly suspicious at the time and he had made a lot of trips to the Soviet Union. Uh, Some people at the time just felt it's impossible for you to make all those trips and not somehow get seduced into the Soviet Union's grip. So I think you've got to remember the time of kind of paranoia and suspicion 
and that's why he gets accused. There's a guy called James Angleton who worked for the CIA, and really nasty piece of work by sounds of it. He was obsessed with this idea of there being moles, not just in the CIA, but in the MI5, partly in because he'd worked with Kim Philby and some of the other like Cambridge spies who turned out to be yeah, yeah, yeah. you know secretly working for the Soviet Union so he became obsessed with this idea and this Soviet spy so Soviet defector in the end I can't really pronounce his name that well but Antoyli Golestin or something like that he claimed that Wilson was a KGB operative and that Hugh Gateskill the former Labour leader before Wilson had been assassinated that he'd been poisoned in some way because Gateskill died of a rare strain of lupus which wasn't very common in the northern hemisphere it wasn't common in this country at all so people were very kind of suspicious about his death and so some people believe that this was some soviet plot to kind of get a soviet puppet as the leader of the labor party whereas i'm thinking he's the leader of the uh, leader he's the leader of the labor party he travels a lot he can yeah catch anything everywhere but I think it just, it's the whole era. And people were suspicious of just any left-leaning politician, really, at the time. There was a belief that you couldn't be a socialist and not be a communist in some ways. But I, I think apart from that, there's not really actually much evidence. Angledon was just going on, yeah, the Soviet defectors claim, which um, most people believe um, this Soviet defector was just guessing, really. There is, might have been possible that there was some kind of uh, Soviet mole in the Labour Party, but it's generally accepted that it wasn't Wilson. So some people just think this Soviet defector was jumping to conclusions. And, and in general, these like Soviet defectors, they claimed a lot of things. I mean... The, the CIA, the intelligence or security services at the time made a lot of these things at the time. But in general, people tend to feel they weren't that reliable, these Soviet defectors. <laughs> but it also came from the fact that I think in 1974, there'd been all this kind of um, the trade unions being so powerful. And it seemed like to kind of some people in the conservative establishment and in MI5, there was a very right-wing section of MI5. They just didn't believe Harold Wilson could deal with the situation. Perhaps he even believed uh, he, that he really deep down supported the trade unions and that you know, he wanted them to win in the end, that he wasn't really willing to deal with the actual problems there. So that's where a lot of the plots come in from, from 1974. And it really seems like they just carried out this campaign of, well, different things. There was bugging, which we've later found out to be true. It was denied for a long time. It was revealed basically pretty much every prime minister from since the Profumo affair had been bugged. Well, Houses of Parliament had basically all been bugged for about, so up until I think about 1977 when prime minister at the time decided that wasn't really on. <laughs> So Harold Wilson wasn't... Some people say he was a bit paranoid, but it seems that there was some truth to what he was saying. Yeah, because you've got the other people that have come out. Uh, did you read the Guardian article? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What's interesting about this is pretty much even within, like, the 80s, some people were actually admitting this stuff happened. There's a guy called Peter Wright who pretty much said, yeah, in a book called, I think, Spy Catcher. I think. Yeah. Um, he pretty much claimed, yeah, there's people in the MI5 who said Wilson's a bloody menace and it's about time we got rid of him, basically. Yeah. And then you had the Brian Cozier. He was a former intelligence agent, officer, person. He was campaigning for a private military firm to maybe push Wilson out of the way. Yeah, in this documentary goes into quite a bit more like detail about that. Basically, one of the things that Wilson claimed in this kind of interview with these journalists was that there was people within like the MI5 and the army that were they were actually willing to create a private army to bring down Wilson yeah now at the time you you know the journalists were a bit you know dubious but they thought we've not you know got to look into it in a way and they did find evidence that there had been these meetings between different people and that there were people because there's one guy in particular a major alexander greenwood yeah he set his own one up in 74 yeah. 75 yeah. era yeah he sounds like a lovely fellow doesn't he uh -huh. he sounds like a right prick basically this guy uh, was going to carry out a coup d'etat 
with um, retired intelligence officers and the top of the military brass and stuff like that, they were going to capture Heathrow Airport, the BBC and Buckingham Palace because basically the idea was thinking if you capture those three, you've pretty much got control of the country, essentially. So that's their idea. Although, yeah. well, well, basically, because they were working within the military and the security services, you've pretty much, to some degree, got control of the country anyway. Yeah. You know, if you've got, in, in general, the idea is if you've got control of the military, you've got control of the country. That's why these military junters tend to work quite so well. You've had them, like, in Thailand recently, haven't you? I think... Had the, uh, yeah, there's one in Greece in the late 60s. They worked really well because the military pretty much have a big role in controlling the country anyway. And that always works out when the military controls the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suppressing people always works yeah. out really well. Not inhumane at all, no, their actions. No. Lord Mountbatten, once again, <laughs> was going to be the figure who was going to take over as interim prime minister. Um, this time round... But this is one that I don't buy, because he already said no last time. This time round, he was a lot more keen on the idea I was reading, because this time round, it's it's a bit more official. There's people from the security services, there's people from the military. I think he felt this one was a bit more credible than just... Official and credible. It's going against what the democratic vote was. Yeah, he, I, I think the way he would have it, it's more official and credible, because it's coming from the military, not the head of the Daily Mirror or whatever like that, if you get what I mean. Yeah. So this time round, they feel it's a bit... He feels it's kind of... It's got a bit more beef to it, I guess. This would culminate in the Queen reading a statement urging the public to support the armed forces because basically government wasn't able to keep order anymore. The country would be ruled by a military junta. Or junta. I don't know how you say that quite right. So, yeah, we'd thrive. Yeah, I mean, if you imagine, I mean, it didn't work out too well for Greece. Didn't work out too well for anyone being under military rule. Yeah. Basically, we would have turned into... kind of, When you consider Britain, by and large, has avoided a lot of the messier things. We'd become the countries that we invade. Yeah, we. I mean, we'd have been. Um, I, I know Annie's from Greece, but we've become from like Greece, basically. Yeah, didn't it happen recently somewhere? A coup? Yeah, Thailand. Yeah, really. Well, it's happened all over the place. Really. It's happened quite a few times recently. These coups. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the famous one that happened was Chile. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, but that was in the 70s, I should say. Yeah, but that's still fairly recent. Yeah, that was the big it's one. Still like, that was the one that... It's, we're still, a, still of an advanced time-ish. Yeah, that one was where Pinochet, who's a bit of a bastard, kind of really managed to... Supported by the Americans, I should add, who overthrew... <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually not that rare, yeah, the Americans supporting that. the famous one. They did loads, so... Yeah, but that's not, it's probably best not to get into that too much. No. Seems though we couldn't get into it when the, we were doing the CIA EU shit because you guys kept talking about other things. I talked about it a little bit in one episode. <laughs> I talked about it in the Hilly Crint uh, when we were talking about Hilly Crint. Not in the designated episode. No. No. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's <laughs> the way it goes sometimes. Okay. In reality, this plan got as far as... Uh, they were doing reenactments and stuff. Well, they carried out what was called a routine exercise, and I, you can't see me now, but I was doing that. Um, yeah, the air quotes. Yeah, air quotes. Because Harry Wilson didn't know about any, anything about it, even though he was the prime minister. Um, well, not only did he not know it, I don't think any of the government knew about it. The Home Secretary wasn't informed, which um, was really suspicious. And Wilson took this exactly as it was kind of meant to be. It was a threat. He was basically, the, the, these people were saying this is what we're willing and ready to do if you don't, you know, pull your finger out. It, well, the thing about Wilson was he was always quite paranoid, even from very early on. He was always worried, even within the party, that there was people willing to just take his place, that he was always willing that there was something going on. So he was always quite paranoid and always very protective, and he was always very concerned about keeping power in some ways. And, and some people suggested that to the extent that it did hinder his prime ministership a bit, that he sometimes wasn't willing to do things that would rock the, the boat a bit too much. So, and I think this, in some, some people suggest that this kind of really was what led to his resignation in some ways, basically the realisation that he wasn't really sure he knew what was going on. Um, the, sense, the kind of belief that the MI5 kind of really just keeping him out of the loop and that they just wanted to get rid of him. So some people have suggested that's why he resigned. Other people have suggested, as you mentioned earlier, his health, 
because it is true that later on in years he had Alzheimer's. It's quite a sad story about him wandering around the House of Parliament, yeah. confused. Yeah, and as someone who apparently had a really great memory as well. It does seem a really great shame. He is this guy, quite great figure, I think, in some ways. Yeah, but that's probably why most people don't know about him right now. Yeah. Because after Prime Ministers serve their time, they sort of become public figures. Yeah. And they take on other roles in society, and he couldn't. Yeah. Because he was 60 when he retired. It was 60, wasn't he? Well, he's, he's around that age. At that time, that was actually quite young for a prime minister to leave. I mean, a lot of the prime ministers before him who'd gone on their own accord have been... I've been at pretty ancient. If you remember, like, Churchill was prime minister when he was 80-odd or something like that, and Harold Macmillan had been goodness knows how old he had this kind of thing where he lived for like another nearly 20 years or so but he lived with a disease yeah which meant he kind of had to pretty much stay out of the way a lot so it's not like blair you know going around trying to bring peace to the middle east which, <laughs> which has gone well <laughs> he's a war criminal okay yeah. let's carry on yeah wilson had alzheimer's and some people have theorized that he knew this was the beginning and rather than just try and stumble on and perhaps embarrass himself he thought, oh, I'll go now before it gets too bad. Which is quite an honourable thing to do, because he could have really fucked up the country if he was unwell and running it. Yeah, but some people are a bit... uh, They're unsure about that theory, because 20 years... I mean, it's quite a long time for someone to go through Alzheimer's. I mean, I I wouldn't say it's impossible, but... It's not impossible, because the mind deteriorates at a different rate. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he's still quite well, but you might have noticed signs of decline at this point. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be rapid when he was resigning, but if he knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Because he he had a history of it in his family as well. Yeah. His mum had it. Yeah, and I think his mum had... I don't think his mum had dealt with it too well, from what I was... In this yeah, so he's probably thing. trying to avoid doing that in a public yeah, he, forum. Yeah, he didn't want to keep going on and on and on as Prime Minister, you know. And also, I think when you're so preoccupied with just trying to stay in power in some ways, I think it can get a bit exhausting. You can get a bit tunnel vision sometimes as Prime yeah. Minister because you're always so concerned about just keep things going most of the time, just making sure there's no scandals or problems or whatever. I'm not too sure about that theory. No, I think it's the CIA bullshit. Yeah. But I have a different theory about the CIA. Yeah. I don't think they actually believed he was a Soviet agent. I just don't think that they liked him because he didn't tow the US line Yeah, as they wished. They put out these other lines in retired and wrote MI5 agents. Yeah. Was that your third leg again? Yeah, that was... Well, because it's... I'm sitting in a tight space, okay? My legs keep <laughs> tensing up, okay? I need to keep wiggling around. We should clarify, actually, that when we talk about Wilson not following America, we're talking about Vietnam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean, like, the Olympics or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, basically, the, the, um, is it Nixon... I think, or Lin- it's L- uh, Lin- Nixon or Lyndon Johnson at the time. I think it's Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. It's Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, Johnson asked him to commit some troops to Vietnam. It was only really kind of symbolically, really, I, well, from what I've read, that they, they wanted him to do. It's just, just like a symbolic show, show of support. Wilson had grown up in the era of like the World War and stuff like that. And also we'd seen military kind of things like Suez and stuff like that go wrong. Wilson wasn't too keen on the idea of going into Vietnam. It was also incredibly unpopular, not just in this country, but in America as well, in the country that was you know, in, in the war. Yeah, and seeing that America waited for a really, 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 really long time to help out in, in the world wars. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, so Wilson, in public, he showed a kind of support for, for Vietnam. But realistically, I don't think he was that keen on it. Yeah, he didn't commit anything. He probably didn't even send any troops any socks. Yeah, really, really, it did actually kind of stand firm when it would have been so easy to kind of buckle because some people at the time did feel that we should be going in because America had helped us out in the war. But like I said, they waited. Yeah, but they still still helped us out and people did at the time feel we owed a debt to America in some ways. So it really was quite brave, I suppose, in some ways. To, to it takes a bit of courage to say no to the Americans in that way. Yeah, have we got? I've got. Remember, we've got any more on the CIA? No, that was actually just a theory. I have no proof. Well, I think that's the it on on the CIA involvement. And we did find out in 1978, a guy 
called Ken Livingstone, you know, you might have heard of him. Oh, I love Ken. I wrote to him and he never wrote back. Oh, how nasty of him. Mm, to be fair, he must have gotten a lot of letters. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them not so nice, I can imagine. He's not, he's not always that popular, as Ken. No. So, yeah, he used his maiden speech in the House of Commons to raise the allegations of a former press officer, Colin Wallace, who was an army press officer or something like that in Northern Ireland. And he'd been used as part of this smear campaign against Harold Wilson and against other like British and Irish politicians and this was an operation called Clockwork Orange quite interestingly and this <laughs> is this whole kind of operation that was I think accusing different politicians of supporting the IRA and stuff like that so yeah so that's pretty much it um, and he did in this documentary actually he did admit that that's what he did I think in a way this Colin Wallace I think so yeah <laughs> That is pretty much it, basically. Yeah. But in the 1987... In, in the 1987... In the 1987... Um, <laughs> during Thatcher's reign, they investigated everything, apparently. And they said that it was just allegations and that everything was false. I don't understand this. Because say if I had said, oh, Boris Johnson did not come up with a Boris bike. He stole the idea from Matt. That would be an allegation. If he said, I did not come up with a Boris bike, I stole them from Matt. That's admission of guilt. Yeah. Alex Greenwald and Bren Cozier, Brian Cozier and so many other people involved have said, yeah, no, it happened. Yeah. Or it was getting there. Yeah, I mean, even by the 80s, quite a lot of people admitted this happened. It wasn't exactly a secret by this point. Yeah, but why deny the truth? Uh, well, I, I, I understand why they're trying to deny the truth to the public, but they're making it look officially like nothing happened. Yeah. Just so uh, we can't... Just so the public doesn't know that, you know, their democracy could be threatened at any point in time. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I think the government just couldn't admit to that kind of thing happening, in a way, I guess. I know, but it's even more... Because it's one thing, oh, someone's trying to overthrow the government that yeah. are working on our behalf. But now, oh, someone's trying to overthrow the government and the government is lying to our faces. Yeah. I d what, what can my interest is, at a time when the government... I mean, the government covered up a lot of things at that time, but a cover-up doesn't really work when it's got members of the MI5 going, yeah, this this was actually going on. <laughs> yeah, and it's MI5. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really stupid that people have tried to cover it up. Yeah. I'm annoyed that I didn't actually know that much about it. I had to check with you what plot you were talking about. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I, I didn't really know much about it until I watched a documentary a few months, mm. a couple of a month or two ago. I think... I know about it because when I was reading about it I'm just like oh this sounds familiar yeah Har Harold Wilson's one of those guys that you kind of you hear about here and then in certain things like I said I only knew him because of the capital punishment thing he abolished capital punishment people yeah a lot of things happened during this time um, hom hom homosexuality became delegalised or whatever it's called legalised not that it should have ever been illegal yeah he worked for race racial and gender equality he opened the open university yeah. so you should be happy yeah, I am I, I'm a very big fan of Harold Wilson yeah the amount of people he's helped even to this day after he's died because of just the yeah. open university he or the legalisation of homosexuality. He's done so much more yeah. for the world than Tony Blair. He, he did actually say that opening the university yeah. was his proudest moment. Yeah, I thought that was quite sweet. Well, you know, education. Yeah, I know, but the fact is, a lot of people can't go to, like, regular universities yeah. or regular colleges for different reasons, and this is a way for them to get the degree or whatever they need, the diploma or whatever it is. I don't know what other things can you get at Open University. It's the same as normal one, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so that he's helping them get that, their qualifications. Yeah. But he's done so much for the world, and I didn't know about it, and I'm quite, quite angry. Yeah, well, you know, you don't, the problem is you don't get told about these kind of things. I know, but he did so much. Yeah, no, so should we should have known about him. He shouldn't be a footnote on the world. Yeah, but the thing, a socialist leader actually did something. Oh, you can't tell people about that. <laughs> That and also this cover-up wouldn't remain a cover-up if people actually knew about him. Yeah. It's annoying that the government didn't make him cover it up. Yeah. I don't buy that he was a Soviet agent. Hmm. I mean, yes, people... It was Cold War. People were suspicious, but... Yeah. I, I don't at all. I, I think there's... I, even within, like, the left of, of in Britain, they were still quite deeply anti-communist. It was still yeah. very... 
it was just uh, some people consider it very anti-British, I guess, in some way. And the KGB, they're not known for their patience and their understanding. Once he became of no use to them, yeah, they would have poisoned his ass or something done away with him because he has the deepest darkest secrets yeah so it doesn't make any sense at all no i mean i i don't really think the com- i don't really think soviet union was particularly keen on you know opening <laughs> open universities all around the world yeah he did too much good to actually be working for the bad yeah you don't see like in eastern european countries open university all over the place because of the soviet union you know no because if if the soviet union had gotten mm. someone in, of theirs into power they would have somehow tried to figure out a way to do away with democracy yeah so so no one's able to vote to keep that person in power yeah they wouldn't have done all these good things and let him go through the motions of being re-elected and then someone winning over him yeah and then have him resigning also um, to go back to slightly what i was talking about at the beginning his humble background Prime Minister from Yorkshire as well. Yeah. Uh, he, you were insulting them, though. I was not insulting you Yorkshire. I was just insulting everyone. Yeah. At one point, I just went before we go, it's interesting about the commun- communism in this country is it manifested itself in, like, really kind of middle-class, upper-class people. Like, all yeah. the Cambridge spies were these Cambridge kind of educated people. It's kind of really and weird. Me. And you. Yeah. You're a communist. I work for the KGB. That's why I'm trying to debunk this theory. Shit, I'm a shit spy. The defunct KGB. <laughs> I don't think it's actually defunct. I mean, the greatest thing about a secret agency is for it to be secret. And it's like, oh, we're actually going to do away with this agency and they don't actually they're just buy it yeah. off somewhere else. Like, I don't understand. MI5, not that secret. I know yeah. where the MI5 building is. Yeah, that's what people are I've seen it. About. I walk past it all the time. Yeah. I could see people going in and out. Yeah, because what's... Oh, there's... There's, there's a famous road sign in the country somewhere and it's about some what's meant to be a, like a secret nuclear something and, it, and literally on the side it says secret nuclear thing and you're like thinking yeah that, that's not much of a secret anymore yeah yeah like the freemasons they're supposed to be secret society weren't they uh to some degree yeah well that's partly because the catholics hated them so much so they couldn't be out in the open oh, okay well anyway Howard wilson in my opinion was not a kgb spy he was the victim of a CIA and MI5 smear campaign because the CIA didn't like the fact that he wouldn't bend over for LJ, whoever the Prime Minister, President was at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. That is true. Yeah. I, I just think he was... I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say he's a classic anti-establishment figure, but I think he upset the apple cart at that time. Just coming... Yeah. Because he was from a different background, because... He did different policies as well. This was a Labour government, first Labour government. Well, uh, the, the Labour government had been before. They'd done, like, done the NHS and stuff like that. But, I mean, this was like a Labour government at a time when the Cold War was, was at its peak, I guess. So he just upset the apple cart, I guess. Yeah, and the press loved to tear people down anyway. Yeah. They just got given ammunition. Yeah. Pretty much. Shit like Corbyn, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but but I think the people nowadays aren't as susceptible to media bullshit. Yeah. Because there are so many avenues that people can speak their mind and be more honest about it and admit to things or clear things up. Mm. Like, The Guardian, back in the day, they could write, oh, Jeremy Corbyn punched a baby in the face. And he'd have to do a press release in response to that. I'm just like, he could tweet about it instead. Yeah. And before the story even gains traction. I do think the internet has been important with him because the, the press aren't really reporting what he's doing that well. So yeah. you, if you look on the internet and actually you are finding actually what he's doing yeah. more often or not. So I think, yeah, I think that is in some ways. But I, papers still, they, for some people, they still do hold some power, I guess. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't, but I now just don't think it's as important. Yeah. It's all frivolous things that they report and they never report on yeah. anything important anymore yeah it's not the only way people get their information anymore no they actually don't report uh, report on anything that we should know about yeah i did uh, this going uh, we probably should stop recording but probably. i did uh, one thing i had um some journalists say basically what news a lot is now it's it's not actually reporting it's just what you'll find is you'll find every story pretty much in the newspaper and it'll just be worded slightly different yeah pretty it's much because the news is so like it's so 24 hours now it's basically people don't have the time to actually report the news anymore no so it's just basically when i could log on to twitter and just see what's trending yeah you just get a story and just 
write it you don't actually go to the place where this, the stories happen i know yeah mm. so anyway we can't really do our outro conversation now because this has gone on too long it's not a swedish thing it's a establishment figure thing that's why they run so long yeah but i feel i think this one was better than the olaf palm one maybe oh yeah the olaf palm one that was just i don't i think we must have been in a weird mood as well yeah. as it being very long and tedious and there's so many different aspects of it yeah. and then i was just like really tired yeah and to be honest i let you do most of the talking while i was trying to loosen my legs up <laughs> that sounds really weird <laughs> yeah do, do that a lot do you <laughs> uh, only when i'm recording with you matthew oh <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should be on it, and, I guess. <laughs> okay, so you have to go off on your date with Chris. <laughs> That's why Chris isn't here. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about acknowledge Chris's existence <laughs> once. This is great. We forgot all about him. Yeah, so Chris has actually missed this episode because he's getting ready for his date with Matt. And um, Matt, he probably won't even wear anything clean. He doesn't I treat won't even Chris wear well. anything, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, that's disgusting. What? Oh, thanks, Tarman. <laughs> I don't want to picture that. I, I've got a beautiful anyway. body. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, that's... So, 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 mental pictures, no. That is harsh. I can't believe you say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what else? There's nothing else to say about this topic. There is one thing I do have to say, though. To all those people on YouTube, all two of them that complained that we had a podcast on youtube we actually have subscribers there which i didn't even realize so fuck you guys fuck you yeah that's my signing off to anyone listening on youtube hello yeah and you know fuck off those two listeners you can (laughs) all right goodbye yeah bye